0: Well, I don't have to explain to you that we are not physically together. You already know that right now. And we are are figuring out how to be physically distant and yet still connected. And I was thinking about the time in my life where I felt most separated, most disconnected, most uh, longing for presence. And maybe you can uh, relate to this. But it would have to be my freshman year of college We got out of, you know, you finish your your final exams and and you go home. And so my undergrad was Mary Hardin Baylor in Belton, Texas. It's the middle part of the state. And I went up north in Texas, closer to the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And I really, really missed my college sweetheart, who you know as my wife, Beth. And she went the other direction in the state of Texas. And Texas is a large state. So she went to South Texas, and we were six hours apart after being, you know, a walk across the college, quad apart. And that was tough, and I'm sure you know people, even if you didn't experience that yourself, you know someone who's had a long-distance relationship, and you've seen lovebirds pulled apart, and you know the pain of separation. And we are in the very early stages as a people, as a church, as a society. Of feeling that loss of, man, I wish I could be physically with you right now. And that pain is going to grow, but it does not have to win. And so we're going to talk a little bit about how to connect and how Paul invites us to connect in a new way. And so we're not the only ones who have had to deal with separation. You might forget. And it just kind of we sometimes take this for granted. Half of our New Testament is books written by Paul to people he couldn't be present with. Like that's a huge part of our faith tradition. These texts that you've you've read at moments of your life, maybe when you were sad, maybe when you were happy, uh, when you were looking for God, are are records of someone writing out of a longing to be with someone else to be more places than you can be at in one moment. And so today we're working from the book of Philippians, and to get a little bit of context, he wrote this book while imprisoned for preaching the gospel. And so we don't quite know exactly where he was when he was imprisoned writing to the church in Philippi. Uh, maybe it was early on when he was still in Caesarea. Maybe he's already made his way to Rome. But we do know that he's imprisoned and can't be with the church in Philippi like he wants to be. He wishes he could be with them, and he writes some powerful words that we're going to read from today. But no matter what, we know he was isolated. He was cut off from from some everyday activities and, and ways of living life, and he had restrictions. And so maybe we could feel a little bit of empathy with the situation that Paul was in at the time. And in the midst of this pain, and this trial, and and he's talking about all of the things that he's going through, he says this, quote, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Rejoicing is hard when you are isolated, when you feel cut off, when you feel alone. And he's telling his story and the struggles he's going through, and he says, hey, I will continue to rejoice. How many of us right now feel the challenge of finding that joy and that rejoicing in the midst of of our struggles? And so today I want to ask the question, how does Paul maintain such hope, such love, such a unifying spirit, even while he's in isolation? And so with that, I want to read some words from Paul. Paul says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So first, Paul knows that there is deliverance, and that gives him hope. You know, we don't know what that deliverance is going to look like for ourselves, and Paul didn't know exactly what it might look like for him, but he trusted that God will ultimately be the deliverer, And so he has hope that that not only will that spirit of Christ bring about his deliverance, but he knows that that all of our prayers are a part of that deliverance. And so Paul believes he'll be delivered, and, and he says that he's eager with expectation and hope that he will not be shamed. And you can imagine while you're on trial and while you're going through this court process that people are going to slander you, people are going to say bad things about you, But Paul knows that through God, he will receive God's honor, God's respect, God's love, and that there won't be a spirit of shame that will overtake him. He will not uh, be shamed. And Paul doesn't control the outcome of the situation. He doesn't know how he'll be delivered. And he says, quote, whether by life or death, for to me living is Christ and dying is gain. He's saying, I don't know what's going to happen to me. I don't know if I'm going to be executed tomorrow. You know, I don't know if I'm going to be freed tomorrow. I don't know if I'm going to get to come see you tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know that whatever happens, Christ will deliver me whether in this life or the next, and I have that hope to count on in the midst of my trial. And so Paul goes on, and he has an invitation. He starts out with the word only, and so if you're following along, we're reading from the New Revised Standard Version, Philippians 1, verse 27, which is a verse I hope that you hold dearly to in this time. He starts with that one word only, which is kind of him saying, hey, I've got one thing to say. If you hear one thing today, hear this, this is what he's saying, only live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So if I could have one message to you, I can only say one thing. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And I just want to suggest before we even get into this, you know, if you want to take a pen and paper and you want to write out Philippians 1 verse 27, you want to print it out and paste it on your wall in your house, you want to put it wherever you'll see it, let this verse speak to you today that you might live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Live your life. That command to live maybe has a little bit more complexity or deepness than maybe you might expect. Uh, It's not just the regular word for live. There's kind of this zoe, life kind of uh, living. But this word is the word politoumai, which even though you don't know Greek, you might hear and realize it's about politics, he says live your life as in conduct yourselves, behave as citizens of God's kingdom, behave as citizens of God's church, of God's community, live your life in a way that that affects those around you for the gospel of Christ. You are citizens not just of this country, you are citizens of God's kingdom. And so Paul knows very well what citizenship can mean. He is on a trial route because of his citizenship. Not everybody was able to go uh, and kind of go to Rome and, you know, look for a pardon or look for uh, a a judge on the Roman court system to rule on your decision and, and leave kind of their locale that you're at. And so the people in the Judean region that bring him to trial, you know, he says, hey, I need." To go to Rome. I go to Caesar. Let Caesar rule on my case. And so he has some rights as a Roman citizen that allow him to go to Rome for his court case. And that's a special trial and a special citizenship, and he gets some privileges. But the good news of Christ brings citizenship, blessings, and behaviors that unite people instead of dividing people. And so Paul is calling us to a life, to a citizenship that's worthy of the gospel, of the good news that unites all people. And so Paul, again, first uh, in that first chapter, verse 27, only live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. While you are at home in isolation for the sake of your neighbor and for the sake of, uh, of, of safety and health for those around us, You are not called to pause your life, you are called to live a life worthy of the good news of Jesus. And So how are we bringing people together spiritually in a time where we have to physically be apart? Are we living our lives worthy of the good news? Who are you calling? Who are you emailing? Who are you giving social media posts to? Or, or you know, who's putting a sign outside your house saying you are loved so people that, that look out their windows or happen to drive by see that there's good news in this world? Are we living our life worthy of the good news of Jesus? Paul goes on Only live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you, or I'm absent and hear about you. I'm gonna pause. He's saying, whether I can be physically present with you or not shouldn't affect anything in this story or this situation. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. I'm sure you probably know the parent situation where you don't know what your kids are up to in the other room, and you say, do I need to go in there what happens when I cross this, this, around this door frame here? Are you doing what I asked you to do? You know, you know that question where we we're calling out as parents around the corner, and so Paul's saying, I don't have to show up. I don't have to walk in the room with you to know that you're living the way you should be living. I don't need that physical presence to know how you should live. And so what connects us is is not just physical presence it's a spiritual presence you know i know that in spirit you you and i are on the same path together and i know that i don't have to be in that room to know that you're living that life worthy of christ and so i want to remind us that in this time that we're physically apart that the coronavirus might take away some of our physical presence but it can't take away our spiritual presence Nothing can keep us apart if we choose to live for Christ. And so Paul goes on, whether I come and see you or I'm absent and hear about you, I know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel. And I love he uses like two different metaphors here. I know that you're standing firm, and that you're striving side by side. So you're moving and you're firm, you know? And and I love that when he calls you to stand firm in the spirit of God, that you are standing in God's promises, you know, that, that Christ is your cornerstone, that when you pray, you connect to the God who connects all of us. And so you can just be standing still and spiritually connected to everyone. And so stand firm in your faith and don't waver. But he also uses that metaphor of striving side by side, which feels like an athletic metaphor. And in a time where all of our sports are getting canceled and and we can't play the game or run the race, our faith still calls us into the marathon, that we are, are, are living for a mission. We are living on a purpose that we are headed somewhere together. And so God calls us out spiritually, into a place of trust, and a place uh, of faith. And so we are still on mission together. Even if we are stuck in our house, in our room, you are called into God's mission for the world. And so I want to share a little bit about how we have been on mission with God, even in our history. So where's a moment in our past where we've, we've lived this out well? And so some of you know, sometimes I like to go down into the basement and look in our archives and learn about our church's history and our past uh, to see how God has been at work long, long before we've, we've ever been here, before we were born, before you've chosen this church as your own. And so I went in and I looked into 1918 and 1919, the time of the great flu epidemic and also the time of the end of the Great War, World War I. And you might not know that in October of 1918, the state of Michigan's Department of Public Health closed all theaters, all churches, all pool halls, all schools, and prohibited all public gatherings in hopes of curtailing the disease. And so in in November in Jackson, they, they kind of lifted that ban, but. This was a painful, painful moment in the world. It's estimated that 50 million people died worldwide. More people than who died in the Great War. It's estimated that 650,000 people in the U.S. passed. And while we shouldn't compare statistics of pain and and, and death and, and hurt We want to remind ourselves that there has been painful, dark days in the past, and there has been light at the end of the tunnel and the way that God can move in the world in the past, and that gives us hope for our future. And so I was looking at 1918 and 1919, and we don't have tons of materials from our archives in that period, but we do have some annual reports and and a few church bulletins, and um, somehow in the midst of the end of World War I, and in the midst of a devastating flu, our church united around its mission. We've got three church bulletins from 1918, they come from September through December. All of them start their announcements by highlighting the American Red Cross. And you might not know, as I didn't know as I started on this endeavor, what that actually means in 1918. Uh, but the Red Cross was charged by the US to supply all the needed nursing personnel to combat the pandemic and to furnish emergency supplies when local authorities couldn't. And each of these church bulletins, and we could just assume that this, the sample size we have that it's probably true of that period, they all have a notice about the Red Cross. And, and primarily, they let us know that the Red Cross was meeting in our building. Wednesdays, one of the announcements, hey, at 1 p.m. on Wednesday, the Red Cross is going to be here. If you're able, join, help. Hey, on Wednesday, we're going to have the Red Cross here all day working to make a difference to save lives in the city. And so we opened up our building for the good of, of the country as well as we could in that time when it was able. Uh, But it wasn't just about how to help resource um, the health endeavors, but the back page of every one of those bulletins was filled with the names of members of our church who were serving in the World War. And all of those names weren't just for your information. They were names to say, hey, be praying about those in our community who are at risk, who are in danger, who are are, are living... um, in a difficult, dangerous time, and so on September 1st, 1918, we announced that one of our members died in combat in France. And so in the midst of this great flu, in the midst of a great war, despite all of that pain, our church grew together in that season. Somehow in a few years' time, our church grew by 135 members, somehow we increased our giving from a little over 6,000 budget in 1918, you know, we grew from that to $10,000. But even more so, our benevolence increased in a time where it would have been easy to have hoarded resources for yourself and and cared only about how you survived. uh, Our church uh, increased its benevolent giving from $1,100 to $3,300. And a little tiny note in that, In 1918, $152 went to Armenian relief. And if you know about the the persecution that they were experiencing at that time, this church on the other side of the world said, we wanna help support those who are suffering. And so our church continued to strive side by side in a manner worthy of the gospel, united by the spirit and working to make the world more like God's kingdom. And so this week, our church was also a part of how do we strive for God's kingdom in the midst of a lot of physical distancing. And so Thursday night, the Jackson Personal Care Ministry, a hygiene product pantry that meets uh, at our church every Thursday from 5 to 6.30, you know, it gives away things like soap and and, uh, surface cleaner and uh, razors and toothbrushes and laundry detergent. They, they had a hard decision last week. They had to close their doors, and everyone you know, was trying to figure out how to be socially distant. Well, this week they, they had some procedures for, here's how we can safely uh, service our community while keeping our volunteers and our clients safe. And so we moved operations from in our building to outside on the sidewalk, and we had pre-bagged supplies. And so we had you know, guests who stayed six feet apart and so we were able to serve people in our community, uh, hygiene products in a time where we need people to be safe and to be clean. And I was most struck, and I think this happens, and if you venture out and you, you take care of people and you, and you work for God's kingdom, you end up feeling and realizing that other people uh, will inspire you, that your generosity will just magnify and multiply someone else's generosity. And so we were out on the street corner, trying to keep our distance and serve our clients. And some workers from the city um, start making their way to their cars. And one lady sees the servers and walks up and says, hey, I just want to appreciate what you're doing. Can I give you a donation? And she pulled what cash she had out of her her purse and, and handed over some money saying, thank you for helping the city. And when we find our ways of striving for God's mission together and whatever that looks like in safety and in this current moment, uh, we unite people, we bring people together while physically apart, spiritually together. And so I want to know how how are you, how am I, how are each of us working to unify uh, and, and be cultivating God's mission and God's spirit in our midst spiritually, even when we're physically apart? How are you living a life worthy of the good news right now? You know, we've been walking through our Lenten devotional guide. You know, are you spending time in prayer each day? Are you spending time reading God's Word? Are you spending time praying for your friends, for your family, for your community? We've had the opportunity to um, do some prayer conference calls. You know, are you trying to reach out and find out how each other are doing, how to, how to help each other, how to pray for each other? Right now, we're having this worship service together. You, know, you could be doing anything or everything. You could be watching Netflix, choosing to worship God and live a life worthy of God's calling. Call, check on folks, you know, sing God's praises every day. You know, we can live out God's calling even when we are separate. And so in this time of physical distancing, it doesn't have to be a time of spiritual distancing. We live out a faith that sometimes has to be done from afar. You know, half of that New Testament written to people who you can't be present with. Let's not let distance be an excuse. Let's take this moment as an invitation to unify in spirit, to unify around prayer for one another, to unify around support for those in need, to unify around the worthiness of the life that Christ calls us to. So I just want to end with the one thing that Paul says, only one thing, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Would you just pray with me? Lord, let us live our lives in a manner worthy of your good news, that there is deliverance, whether it's by life or by death, that we know that we can have hope in you, and in the midst of of pain, in the midst of fears, that we can actually trust in your goodness, that we can be connected through you Lord, I just ask that this is a moment that is not just a pain and a challenge and and difficulty, but it is a chance for all of us to have revival, that your resurrection spirit might move in our midst even when we're apart. Lord, let us live a life worthy of your calling. It's in your most precious name, Jesus, that I pray. Amen.